Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon here with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, who's in uh, wonderful Southern California. How are you doing today, Rubina? I'm great. I'm great. And we have cloudy and uh, rain today. Most welcome rain for us. Oh, okay. Well, we had rain the other day, um, and then we had some really warm weather, and today it's a little more comfortable but sunny. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's pleasant. That's um, And, um, you know, it's interesting how things are changing. I'm sure they're changing in California. I was saying to somebody the other day, I had to run out and do an errand. And I, I uh, actually, I think it was my daughter. I called her and I said, I, it's so nice to see traffic on the road. I mean, it, it's it's just so welcome. And then I said to her, I wonder how long this feeling will last. And then I was coming home and I had to rush home for a phone call. I said, darn, <laughs> Why do we have all this traffic? So it just goes to show you how, how you can fall into your old habits pretty quickly. Pretty, pretty quickly. It's a, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, all of our perspectives are uh, changing, uh, I'm sure. Um, some lesser to a lesser extent, some to a greater extent. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, that's that's kind of the, the focus of our show today is that people aren't always prepared for the situations that they're faced with. Right. And um, not only for our older uh, parents or older citizens, but as many people see, uh, you just don't know what can happen, what can happen right in front of you, and are you really prepared mm-hmm. And I think the guest that you're going to introduce uh, shortly is really going to help enlighten us. And uh, I've had the personal pleasure of uh, being part of a, a collaborative that uh, that our guest chairs. So with that, will you go ahead and introduce our guest, please? Sure, absolutely. So I had the pleasure of speaking with Dan the other day, and it was really a an insightful conversation, really eye-opening, and um, I'm sure it will be for our listeners as well. So Dan York is an elder care attorney in Fullerton, California, where he's practiced law, law for more than 30 years, and he's a member of organizations that advocate for elders, including the California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform, which I'm very interested in, and the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys. And as you said, Dan chairs the North Orange County Senior Collaborative, which is a service group that's committed to identifying and uh, addressing the unmet needs of seniors and their support systems in North count- of the North County area. So welcome, Dan. How are you doing today? Thank you. Oh. Very well, thanks, and uh, I appreciate uh, those opening remarks, and uh, uh, I, I couldn't agree more about the importance of preparation in a world of change. Absolutely. It's, uh, it just 
it just comes upon you, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, I referenced it in terms of this virus, but uh, Rabina and I have talked about this, and I'm sure you could address this issue about how you get a phone call out of the blue sometimes, or something happens to you, and then you wind wind up in a situation, and you're not necessarily prepared for the legal and financial ramifications of that situation. What What's your experience with uh, people in that regard? Well. My experience is uh, probably very similar uh, to that of uh, yourself and Ravina, but essentially um, we have two groups, <laughs> as we do in life, probably all the time from when we're very little, uh, those who like to kind of go by the seat of the pants, you know, and, uh, and then at the other extreme we have folks that really like to plan ahead. Um, I, I guess when you reach a point in life where uh, health is changing and, um, you know, there are things that are uh, that you have to learn to deal with in advance of them actually happening, uh, you have to be more of a planner. And uh, I'll give you two quick examples of why it's important to look ahead. Um, if you're married, and even if you're not married, um, you know, health issues are going to beset you sometimes in unpredictable situations. And I always tell my clients, don't wait to plan by crisis. By the way, I really liked the uh, title of the show. Don't wait to plan by crisis. And why is that? Because, number one, the person for whom you're planning, whether it's yourself or a spouse, for example, um, is going to be able to participate more in the way their life will look in the future the earlier you start planning and thinking about the issues. That's number one. Number two, you're going to be able to avoid uh, or, or more able to avoid family stress and disagreements when everybody within the circle knows that you've made these decisions ahead of time. There will be less speculation about, well, this is what mom really wanted or that's what dad always told me he wanted. When you put things in writing in a proper form, when you and I were talking, I referenced this, and I said, uh, my daughter actually has been telling me for quite some time, why don't you make some preparations, write some things down? And it's not always an easy thing to do. And um, I mentioned this to you, and um, I know Rabina has actually done some uh, pretty uh, terrific planning recently, but um, I'll just tell you this briefly. So uh, when this whole virus situation started and ventilators and people being on ventilators, and that's my area of expertise, I text my daughter and I said, um, just remember, I don't want to be on any ventilator because I know what that's about. And she said, I understand that. I said, great. Then she texted me a few minutes later and said, you mean even if they said that you'd only have to be on it for a short period of time in order to improve your condition, you wouldn't want it? And my answer was, hmm, something to think about. So uh, you and I talked about that a little bit, Dan, right? Yes, we did. We did. And um, one, of the, you know, one of the wonderful things about that kind of planning, um, we call it here in California an advanced directive or a post, and I'll, mention, I'll get back to that in a moment. But one of the wonderful things about that is you can plan in the kind of detail that fits your life situation. Here's an example. 
my mother, uh, several years ago, um, decided to sign um, an advance directive that said that tube feeding would only be allowed for a short trial period to see if she could begin eating again by mouth or if it was necessary to allow time for her children to gather to say their final goodbyes. And as it turned out, that was a good thing for her to do because her children at the time of her passing uh, were very scattered, uh, some even living in another country. So it enabled uh, some of us to get together and, and say those final goodbyes. So it was a real blessing. Right, and Rubina, uh, we had a conversation many weeks ago about long-term care insurance, and mm-hmm. you were saying that, well, you say what you said. <laughs> I don't need to say what you said. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went ahead and uh, bought uh, long-term care insurance in addition to the uh, the policies and situations we have in, pri- in place then, just because uh, one of my... Um, I guess sensitive point says who's going to take care of me when I'm old. Yeah. Uh, because I, you know, I see that with my parents, and uh, and I'm assured by my my daughters that they'll be here for me, and I'm assured by my husband that I have the financial resources to pay for, you know, pay for my care. But still, that's something in the back of my mind. And uh, and uh, at Olive Community Services, we had uh, a vendor who had a very nice product. And uh, I interviewed them, and I wanted to check it out. And, and I did sign up for it. So that's what Phyllis is referring to, yes. So how many people do you think really, uh, really make those kinds of plans? The people that you encounter, Dan, percentage-wise, what would you say if you had to venture a guess? Yeah, I would say it's roughly, um, and I'm glad to say in my area, and, and maybe it just happens to be the circle of people that I encounter, but about 60% have a plan that they want us to review. They've done this before and bring up to date. Uh, I would say about 40% are those that do not have a plan in place. And uh, remember, the group of people that I deal with are mostly uh, retirement age and above. Right. So what are some of the financial plans that you would say people would need to make um, looking forward however many years? Let's say, um, I, I, you know, you, we discussed Medicaid and how it's d- different from state to state, so maybe we could address that. You want to talk about that in California, and then I'll tell sure. you what I think it is in New York. Okay. Let me kind of basically answer your first question and then I'll talk about Medicaid briefly. Um, so the types of documents that uh, you need to discuss with uh, your attorney would be healthcare documents, that's in one basket, and then in the other container, if you wish, uh, you have financial types of documents. Uh, in most states, they are separate. So the kind of words you're going to hear in your state will be things like, Advanced Directive, uh, Living Will, uh, POLST stands for Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, or DNR. And then I think you mentioned there's a couple of other phrases. But all of the documents I just mentioned 
are things that deal solely with your advanced decision-making about health care. For example, who you're going to appoint as your agent to make decisions for you when you can't speak for yourself, or the types of care that you'll receive, and all those kinds of details. The other container has to do with the management of your finances, which, of course, it would, needs to be closely coordinated with those health care decisions. But those will be things like trusts and uh, powers of attorney and, to some extent, wills if, uh, if you uh, use that at your passing. As to Medicaid, there, uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, Medicaid is a joint state-federal program. It's funded by both the federal government and then the local rules are written at the state level. <clears throat> That's why it's very important to realize that the rules here in California may be quite different than your state. That's why you need to get local advice and guidance. And the reason is that, um, to give an example, um, by statistics here in California, about 60% of the people in skilled nursing facilities depend on Medicaid in our state. It's a huge number. But right. you'll understand why when you realize that the average cost uh, per month for that level of care runs right around $10,000 to $12,000 per month per person. And most average people, even here in Southern California, which you know, tends to, to be a higher wage level, most average people cannot sustain that for a long period of time. And that's, by the way, the reason that Rubina's purchasing long-term care insurance could be a smart thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, matter, it, it depends on crunching the numbers and seeing if it makes sense for you. The right. look-back period, and, and I'm sorry, the look-back period no, is a, Medi-Cal, a Medicaid rule in, in each state's period is a little different uh, that says that if you gift things away or you shift your assets so as to um, make it possible to qualify for Medicaid, that the state will look back to whenever you did that and, and, uh, and penalize you. There's a, a, a way of penalizing you. Now, here in California, our look-back period is one of the shortest in the country. It's only 30 months. But I think mm. you were sharing in Connecticut it's longer. In New York, I, I actually don't know what it is in Connecticut because most of my work um, is in New York. I believe they increased the length of time for the look-back period from five years to seven years. And people have really gotten stuck with this. So if you have assets, uh, that could be uh, – they can take those assets – or they will deny your application based on the fact that your assets exceed the limit that Medicaid allows. Yes. Right. So that's where you really need to think about some long-term planning if it seems that, um, you know, declining health is, is an issue. Yeah, well, absolutely. But as we're saying in terms of planning, and, and this involves, uh, by the way, uh, not just um, 
I don't know, tangible assets that people think of. This is uh, you, you could be your home. I actually heard of a situation in the last two minutes that we have left uh, several months ago. Um, the family had a truck, I think it was, that was worth like forty-five or $50,000 or something, and they took the truck. Um, wow. because that was the asset that uh, put them over the top. So they took the truck. I see. Wow. So I, I don't know how it works in California. Do you have any experience with that, Rubina? Uh, I have not. I think one of our extended family members kind of negotiated that, but I'm not, uh, I'm not familiar. Dan, maybe you can share some California examples with sure. us. Sure. Well, one of the things to be aware of is that um, when you go to see someone to help you do this planning, it's very important to have someone who is familiar with these rules in in Mm. your state. Because even here in California, not every estate planning attorney is is familiar with them and is able to integrate them into your your documents. So, in fact, that's one of the reasons that elder law attorneys as a type of practice came into being about, oh, about 40 years ago is mm. because there was this recognition that there are benefit programs like VA benefits, uh, Medicaid, and so forth that need to be taken into account. Right. Great. I think, then this is the area we need to uh, pursue a bit more, but now we need to take a break, and we will come back in a couple of minutes to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. 
Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. Uh, we're having a good conversation with Dan York, an elder care attorney, or elder law attorney, right, Dan? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. What is an, uh, how does an elder law attorney differ from some of the other uh, uh, types? Give, give me a definition, please. Okay. Um, in, in the area that I work with, which is planning, an elder okay. law attorney can help inform uh, their client about the different types of benefits that they should plan for and include in their estate planning documents. Um, the reason that's important is that there are uh, certain requirements in benefit programs like VA programs, Medicaid programs, and so forth that actually have to be um, mentioned in your planning documents to give your helper, your agent, the power that they need to preserve your, your assets and stretch them out as long as possible. Okay, That's a pretty so wordy definition, but that, that is a pretty wordy definition. expresses it. So, so can I just ask a quick question? So, uh, power of attorney um, uh, would give. Uh, can you just define power of attorney in case I'm confused? And is there a difference in um, in California between power of attorney and durable power of attorney? There, there is a difference, and. Um, let me just reinforce one thing real quickly. Um, whenever I talk about power of attorney on, on the air here, I'm using it as a shortcut for power of attorney for finances, okay? Oh, okay. So it's strictly a financial document. The word durable, when used with power of attorney, means that that power of attorney will continue to be effective even though the person who gave it is incapacitated and no longer able to speak for themselves, okay? Um, our laws here in California and in most states, you have to include a statement in the document that says it will continue to be effective even after the giver of the power ha no longer has capacity, all right? If you didn't mm. include that, its power would end when they get too sick to speak for themselves. Which makes no sense, I know. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we have to say that. It's the way the, the, the law is set it's up. Interesting, Almost yeah. It's counter you would sign as a senior would probably be a durable power of attorney. Uh -huh. hmm. Okay, Dan, uh, I have a, a simple question. Sure. I'm a client. I'm a senior. I come to you. You're my attorney. Give me a list of things that you think I should do, and I think that would be very valuable for our listeners. Yeah, Certainly. Mm. Okay. The first group of things that I would discuss with you is um, your health care documents. So I'm only yeah. going to be talking for a moment about health care documents. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I want to I keep this concise for everybody. Any health care planning documents... Um, no matter what state you're in, are broken into three parts. Just think of them as three parts. Okay. Part one is sometimes known as a health care proxy or okay. a power of attorney for health care. All it means is 
you get to choose someone to speak for you when you can no longer make your own medical decisions. Okay? And okay. chances are you're also going to choose an alternate or even two or three alternates just in case that person is too sick themselves or they have passed away. So choosing an agent is that first function. Okay? Okay. The second of the three functions is to tell everyone in writing about your choices on end-of-life care. Now, sometimes that's known as a living will. It goes by a number of different uh, phrases, but it's essentially your choices for end-of-life care, and it can be written in detail or very, very concisely. Um, the, uh, the third thing that uh, these documents can do is it can make known, um, I call them miscellaneous choices. And miscellaneous means things like, how do you want your remains dealt with? Do you want to be buried? Do you have a religious tradition? Have you purchased a plot? Do you have a doctor that you want to use? Do you prefer organ donation or no organ donation? And if so, what are the details? So that's a very long list of things because uh-huh. you know, this is a human being. So right. those, are the, those are the major decisions that people make in the healthcare documents. Now, here in California and in a number of other states, we decided to make it easy for everyone and put it all under one document, which is called an Advanced Healthcare Directive. Got it. Some states and, uh, and some older plans still have, uh, have it broken into multiple, you know, numerous documents. But right. um, most of my clients choose just to have the one document that combines all those decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay? That makes sense. Um, let me say one brief word about healthcare before I move on to finish answering Rabina's question. And that is, uh, there is uh, a type of document sometimes called a DNR or a Mm -hmm. PULSE that people always ask about. I always tell them, first of all, the advanced directive, the first group I told you about, is absolutely essential and foundational. The PULSE or DNR is for people that are either chronically ill or uh, they're terminally ill or they have a serious condition, and for one reason or another, they do not want to be. Um, uh, they they do not want to have their breathing restored, or receive uh, you know various detailed supports that are expressed as a medical order. Okay, uh, like resuscitation. A lot of people don't realize that when they use those electrical paddles on you, or mm-hmm. they use chest compressions. It can be very damaging to a fragile older person mm-hmm. who may not want to survive and go through that healing process. So the way they can do that is express it in the pulsed or the DNR. A uh, quick question: the pulsed only, uh, which is um, as you said earlier, the physician's order for life-sustaining treatment. So that's. Um, encompasses a DNR, which is do not resuscitate. Does that also include a DNI, which is do not intubate, or a DNH, yes. which is do not hospitalize? Yes. Oh, okay. It so it includes all three. 
What it is, it's a much more detailed document expressed in medical language and signed by a doctor. The advanced mm-hmm. directive I mentioned earlier does not get signed by a doctor. So oh, the full okay. DNR, the DNI, the DNH, all of those are medical orders that actually get included in your medical chart and travel with you. Oh, that's nice to know. That's a uh, that's nice to know. Okay. Correct. Can I just uh, add, ask a question? Uh, if you know about this in California, I believe it's like this in New York. You can sign, a, we have a DNR here. You can sign a DNR in the hospital, but when you get to, let's say, a skilled nursing facility, um, you really have to sign another DNR. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you have that in California? Um, you know, we use the pulse that travels. Oh, so okay, I, fine. Uh, we, we, we don't often as use the DNR, and I would have to check on that. Okay. But okay. I believe the post was enacted in, actually it's used in a number of states because it's very transferable. Makes sense. Okay, great. All right, so that's a really very that's high health. level of what's needed at healthcare docs, right? Yeah, right. Okay. The second Did part. you want me to talk about the um, financial briefly? Well, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Okay. So um, it's important to, to know that um, the, whoever, the attorney that you're dealing with, needs to explain uh, what's appropriate for your financial situation. Um, it may be, for example, that in your state that a will and a power of attorney will be ad- adequate. Um, in, in some situations, like here in California, if you own a home, it is likely that if you don't have a trust, that your estate will end up in court in what's called probate after you die. So most people in California want to avoid court involvement because it's complicated and very costly and time-consuming. So that's why so many people in our area use a trust. So... Briefly, uh, you need to ask your attorney whether a will is adequate or whether you need a trust. Um, mm-hmm. One thing to, to understand about a will, however, is a will can only help you after you die. It only handles the things you own after you die. A trust is in effect during your life and can be modified by you at any time or even revoked. And so it's a very flexible document and it continues after your death um, in a very seamless way so that it's much easier for your helpers, whether those, you know, your trustees, to, to, to be familiar with it and to carry out your wishes. Um, a power of attorney is a little bit different. Um, so a power of attorney loses its power at the moment you die. That means it's only good and useful while you're alive. But I'm going to give you an example of why it's so important for older people. When my mom was still with us, I was her agent under power of attorney for finances, and I was also her health care agent under an advanced directive. And every time we would hire a new, uh, a new doctor or a new caregiver, they would inevitably ask for both of those documents, the power of attorney for finances and the advanced health care directive. Why was that? Because a medical person needs to know that you have the power to consent to treatment, okay? 
And they also need to know whether you can sign a contract obligating, say, my mom to repay them for their services. So those are the two documents that are very important, particularly when a person loses the ability to sign for themselves or make their own decisions. Uh, can I just interject something? I just remembered something as you were talking. I don't know why I it left my mind. In New York, actually, I think it's called a MULST. I don't know why I forgot that. It's a it's the same form, but it's a medical order for life sustaining equipment, uh, life sustaining oh. treatment. I just remembered that. I'm sorry. I just. Oh I, no. Why am I thinking about a MULST? And it's the same. It's actually the same form. Sorry, I just wanted to okay. clarify that for the, the listeners. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. it's it's a real alphabet soup when you get into all the different states. But that's why I, I was trying to kind of clarify the function of all of these documents. But in short, those are the things that you need to be aware of. Uh, uh, possibly a trust and a will. Uh, definitely a financial power of attorney, and there may be some supporting documents that the attorney will advise, uh, such as a new deed to your home that puts it under the control of the trust. But this is the core of the documents that you probably will be discussing with uh, the attorney who does uh, advise you on on estate planning. And then, of course, the health care documents that we already uh, mentioned. Did that no, answer it, it, it Rabina? Yeah, yes, yes. It gives a, a nice, uh, nice map, right, of, of, uh, of things to do. Clear and, and concise. Yes, clear and concise. No, I really appreciate that. Almost like a bullet point and a checklist. And that, do you have a checklist that you provide your clients? I do. Yes. Wonderful. And we go Is through that, it in, in detail. There's actually a few other supporting documents that we include. That may not be um, suitable in you know in every uh, locale, but uh, we 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 take a lot of time to go through that list. It's a one sheet, and um, they like that. Mm-hmm. If Pete, how could people um, access that? Would they be able to get that on your website? Uh, would they be able to contact you for that information? Would you like to give the listeners a way to access that? Sure. Um, we don't currently have it posted, but we have uh, something similar on my website, which is danyorklaw.com. And um, if you go to the tab at the top that says Getting Started, it will describe um, our process. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's good. Great. Okay. So that's... Pretty, um, I would say, comprehensive. Okay, um, then I'm going to go back to, I came to you, I'm your client, and you walked me through this uh, a list of uh, things that I need to do. What, what else are we talking about in that conversation, in that meeting? What oh, are other things that ha- haven't been listed that, that we are talking about? Yeah, in the last few minutes, right. The single hardest decision that my clients are called on to make, single hardest decision, is who to put in charge when they can no longer make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, 
but they find it very difficult. Now, I'm, I'm from a family of five kids, you know, and, and I, I kind of, I, I think I, I, I learned a lot by watching my parents. And um, the, the one thing I would say is that as you think about that, it's important to, to realize that when you pick someone to be your trustee or healthcare agent, it's not about who you love more than another, okay? I like to tell my clients you should approach this in a very business-like way. You should, first of all, consider that person's skills and abilities. And, um, for example, uh, you might choose someone with um, a healthcare background uh, because they don't mind de- dealing with a, a doctor's situation or going into a hospital. Some people mm-hmm. I know are really good with numbers and managing finances, and they simply shudder when they, they encounter the, the sights and smells of a hospital. Mm. Um, you need to consider someone who is a good communicator with the rest of the family and their ability to keep their cool under um, difficult conditions or in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are some, of the, some main things that I... I tell them, mm. and I tell them, you know, make your decision based on what you know about that person's abilities. Right. Wonderful. Dan, thank you so, so much. And I wanted to talk so much about what you're doing at the Senior Collaborative. Maybe another time we will. Uh, but thank you so, so much. And the time has gone so fast. Um, and we we do have your website, danyourclaw.com. And is there any other information you'd like to share, perhaps a telephone number, or is that su- sufficient? Oh, that, that's fine. The website that's again, fine? is okay. uh, danyorklaw.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us. And Phyllis and I will return shortly after the break to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. And wasn't that a lot of interesting information, very, very important information, Phyllis? A lot of information. I'm... certainly gives you pause for thought. It definitely, definitely does. Now, you know, we spoke with Dan for a couple of segments. So let's just reflect for a moment. You and I are both seniors. Right. What uh, comes to your mind? And uh, now, you know, you're an educated, knowledgeable person. What do you have in place? And what uh, new ideas you got from here? Anything that you'd like to share? Well, your reflections? Sure. So, interestingly enough, as I mentioned, my daughter has been suggesting this to me for several years. Um, by the way, I don't think we mentioned this, but people can actually find some of these forms uh, um, on the internet. You can Google and you yeah, can find them. Yeah, that's good information, and, yes. Yes, and you could print them out. You could download them. Um, even if you want to do it uh, as preparation for going to see an attorney so that you know what they look like, but you also can do them for yourself, and then I believe they have to be notarized. But um, so she's been after me for several years to do this. And like we said at the beginning, these are not easy conversations to have. The closest I ever came to it when this virus situation started and I text this to her about the ventilators. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) My mind is so uh, because it it just it's like another reminder that I really need to do this. And he, uh, Dan touched on something that I think is very important um, for our listeners, that uh, very often there are disagreements in, uh, in, within families. And when you have these conversations, there may be times when there may be disagreements, especially if you haven't made these plans. But there may even be disagreements um, with with siblings um, and the older yes. person. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these are really important conversations. So I'm thinking um, my son lives out on the West Coast near you, Rubina. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um so I was thinking about it. Gee, if I if I decide to have this conversation, I mean, they are my decisions, right? Um, and my my children would respect my decisions, but they they really are uh, conversations that you really should have with members of the family because even if you write them down, let's say I wrote them down, I, I'm I'm just talking about my own sure, family, sure. and yes, I only yes. have two children. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see my daughter saying. Well, that's what she wanted. She wrote that down. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I could see my son having a different point of view. 
Uh Um, even though the things are written. And by the way, I have seen this play out um, in places uh, where people wind up getting treatment that they really didn't want and that they stipulated they didn't want. But I think this uh, really gives me pause for thought. And like you said, I'm I'm a senior. And um, whether I'd like to really admit that or not, (laughs) I think I really need to address these issues. Um, in some way, shape, or form, because I haven't addressed any of them. Oh, okay. That's a surprise that you haven't addressed any of them. And you, you're right. You would think I would, especially yes. my experience working in this nursing home space for so many years uh-huh. and seeing so many different situations. You would think that I would, but I haven't. Okay, so let's go one step further. What's your plan going forward? Well, uh, my plan going forward is to really start to think about this and write some things down first for myself. Really, Uh, you're an excellent you're an excellent writer. (laughs) That can be done easily. Yes, right. So look at each one of these categories and make decisions about them. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, probably, um, you know. Discuss them with my daughter, but then either, you know, go to an attorney or download some of these forms and start to work on them because it really is important, especially as we have seen, you just don't know what can happen. Okay. My next question. This is my management consultant coach coming in. I see this. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be interviewed in this segment, but this is okay. Disclaimer. What's your timeline? What's your deadline? When are you going to get this done by? Right. So I'm glad you asked that because in my mind, I was thinking, well, I've been going to my daughter's house uh, pretty much on the weekends for dinner. And this would be a, a good uh, target to say that this weekend um, that we should at least have this discussion, start this discussion. Mm-hmm. So today's Monday. I usually go there either on a Saturday or Sunday. And mm-hmm. so if I start to think about this and write these things down, that this would be um you know, a conversation that we should have on the weekend. And then let's say, um, let's say maybe by the end of May, which is only like two weeks away, Mm -hmm. really have something in place. Oh, well, that is very good. Very good, Phyllis. And then uh, uh, after you've done that, perhaps we can talk about your experience of having gone through that, because I can just imagine the, the thinking and strategy that would go into documents like this. So I, I want to say another thing that I, sure. I think uh, we, we didn't necessarily touch on with Dan. He had so much information and had a great way of explaining it and um, presenting it that you can change your mind, by the way. So yes. what I decide today Mm-hmm. might be different down the road if my medical status changes or my condition changes or 10 mm-hmm. years from now, if something changes, I say, you know what? I feel a little differently about this now. These documents can be revised. I mean, you yes, just can't change it. You have to do it in a legal fashion, but these things can be revised. Right. right. So well, that's what a good you? point. That's what a good point. You? So you? Uh, what about you know I I went through this with my parents, and uh, the healthcare directive was uh, an emotional conversation that we had, and um, 
my husband and I, you know, have these documents in place, but this happened oh, many years ago, and we're now saying that uh, we need to revise them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and I, we have thought of who would be uh, our uh, decision maker or agent for mm-hmm. which area. And um, you know, Dan was hitting the nail right on the head. Uh, you know, one of my daughters is a doctor and one is an attorney. So you can see the distribution, right? Who would be primary and who would be secondary? Right, in, right. In, in those. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I've uh, verbally made it known some of my wishes um, at the end as well. Um, uh, you know, when, when you said one daughter is this and, you know, it has one profession, another daughter has another profession, you know, luckily it falls in this in this area. It falls in nicely there. Yes. Right. Okay. So now, in my case, neither one of my children are in a medical or legal space. Right. And and like I said, uh, people can call in. I've actually done this for families, so I'm just letting people sure. know there are people out there who are available if there are disagreements, because they, it can be people can have resentments also. Mm -hmm. Uh, based on long-standing family relationships, which are very common, Mm -hmm. um, to to have some kind of of mediator to do some kind of family care mediation. I I have done it, but there are people that that people can call upon to help them with Mm -hmm. this process as well. Okay. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, involved in that and a lot more services and support that's that's available. Absolutely. Um, Mm-hmm. And, um, but this uh, really brought things home uh, and for me, and just for ourselves as well. But really, it reminded me of the time when we were putting these uh, documents in place and for my mom and dad. And, uh, and yes, he's right. At the time of death, the power of attorney is no longer valid, uh, then the will comes into play. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, many years ago, oh gosh, it's like 20 years ago, um, almost exactly 20 years ago, my, um, my um, mother had uh, was going in for some serious surgery and... Um, you know, my input was that um, she should. She was quite of an advanced age at that point. Uh, she was in her eighties, I believe, and um, I had suggested that um, you know they put into some kind of writing that she shouldn't be put on a ventilator. Um, that was um, serious conversation that was had. Um, um, of course, I knew from personal experience uh, what that would be like. But these are difficult decisions. People don't want to either, you know, that this is their loved one. They don't want to, you know, let go of that person. Uh, they don't want to think of that person not being there, of them being able to have that connection and relationship. It, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not easy. It's not easy. I can mm-hmm. tell you that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I want to know more about your positions on ventilators offline uh, because you mentioned that many a times and you're the expert in that area. And I will take that into consideration for my my decisions. Um, so maybe I think let's let's summarize. Let's try to summarize because there is just so much uh, for our listeners that there are two kinds of documents. One are the healthcare related and disposition of what happens to your health healthcare. The other are financial, right? Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. And each one of them needs uh, an agent or a power of attorney appointed. It could be the same person. It could be different persons. And uh, Dan made a good point that you should always have an alternate or a, possibly mm. two alternates as well. That is a good point. Yes. Uh, and uh, and he also suggested that uh, for Medicare purposes, there is a, a look-back period. or what, Medicaid. What? For Medicaid. Medicaid. Per- right. There's a look-back period. And it look- varies by state. Look-back period varies by state. So if someone is in a situation where they would be needing, you know, Medicaid support, then they need to this do this planning a lot sooner. Uh, Correct. Right. Okay. Uh, there are there are people who transfer their assets, the deeds of their home, all this kind of thing. But they look very carefully at this kind of thing because they know people do it for this reason. Right. Right. Okay, so uh, what are some of the things that stood out for you, uh, uh, Phyllis? Well, I think, um, I think, you know, I think the fact that, that Dan really delineated these two areas very clearly, the financial side and the legal side, mm-hmm. that people have to... Uh, Look at look at their life moving forward in these two ways, mm-hmm. and and really think about one side and then think about the other side. And I, I think something important that he really mentioned is to think about the skill set of the person that you're appointing. Right. It's not based on like he said, who's your favorite? Not that there are necessarily favorites, or who you love more or less, or who you're speaking to or not speaking to, whatever. Right. Happens. Right. But right. really, people's skill sets and will they be able to communicate, understand? Let's uh-huh. say if it's the on the medical side, medical terminology, will they be, in, be able to interact with doctors and and nurses? Will they be able to, like he said, kind of be cool under pressure? That's not an easy thing. These are very emotional circumstances. Um, how will who can be the best advocate? I I guess I'd say. Yeah, well, so who would really be the best advocate? Best advocate. Thank you so much for summarizing that, Phyllis. And uh, with that, we are going to say goodbye for today. And Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel will be back next week. And we wish good week to and a healthy, safe week to everybody. Thanks, Rubina. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week. <music>